We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So I think you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Today, you're just getting K&K. That's it. Yep, that's it. The it's good old-fashioned K&K yeah. show. Yeah. And we want to talk about something that's like really important to us, which is what? Um, your sweater. <laughs> my my sheep sweater? Yeah. No, um, what's on my shirt? Generational wealth. That is very important to us. Yep. That's going to be the topic of conversation mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, but first, before we dive in, um, Crystal, when well, I don't know when this airs, but sh we're about two months out from another baby girl. Two months, maybe a little less. Yeah. So possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Yep. Um. Crystal, how's everything going in your guys' world over there? What's going on in the commercial lending world? Since it's just you and I, we can kind of catch up here. Well, I think uh, January was definitely quieter. It usually is kind of... Everybody getting back in action. For us, I think everybody's kind of getting back in action, kind of on vacation. Um, they might be looking to buy deals or sell their stuff, but they're not real, like jumping in headfirst with new financing. But... Um, the beginning of February was definitely like, okay, everybody's back and ready to rock. So it's been really busy. Um, Are you, um, how's the, uh, market or deal? I know I'm sure it's still tough to find deals. Yeah, deals are still really tough to find. I think the general consensus, everybody thinks everything's so expensive, uh, which to some degree, I think for sure, prices have obviously gone up. But um, I always laugh when people say that. It's kind of funny because we posted that meme on Instagram um, the other day. Like, the price everybody wants to pay is the price that was available a long time ago. But Five we're, years ago we're living, something. well, 1969, I think, was yeah. the meme. But, but yeah. it's so true because I feel like that the typical real estate investor is always whining about paying too much for properties. Um, so I always tell people, though, like five years from now, you're going to be thinking you you got a pretty good deal. Everything feels expensive today. Why? Because today you're paying market price. Well, you, so. you, you well, that could be true, but you could go through a correction. But, you know, when you're in a place like San Diego and you go through a correction, it's fine. That's probably exactly. More. Hopefully yeah. you have dry powder, a.k.a. cash or an opportunity to buy stuff, whether you're you know partnering up or raising money. Right. But if it's five years, there's a dip, or whenever there's a dip, that's fine. But just when there's a dip, there's turns back around, and usually the dips, and every time we hit a dip, it just keeps going a little higher and a little higher and a little higher. And basically, a lot of people say it's expensive, but everybody says it's gonna be more expensive or less expensive in 20 years. And yes, there can be ups and downs in markets, but relatively, historically speaking, even if it goes down, it will go up more than it is up now. That's usually yeah, how it works. We're not necessarily talking about, um, you know, other places. I mean, we live in Southern California. We're in a fabulous market economy, a place where people want to live. I know a lot of people love and have kind of a love-hate relationship with California in general, but generally speaking, most people would prefer to be here if they could afford it. Um, yeah, we so pay our taxes and things like that. That being said, yeah. I don't think, like, 
San Diego, at least where we live, is ever a bad investment. So I do laugh with about my clients saying that they've paid they're paying too much or too high of a price because it's it's all relative. It's it's basically what they feel today. Um, but like we've said so many times before, our clients who own units who've owned units for 20, 30 years thought that they were paying too much, you know, back then when they were paying 20, 20 a door for a building and now it's worth 250 like a door or 300 ago, yeah. a door or whatever. But so that said, I, most of my clients, especially since we came from managing, it's like over five years time, you see your, your return going up gradually every year and slowly the deal that you thought you overpaid for, you're now happy with. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just you, you got to know where you're investing your environment, and you know everybody always asks us like, why don't you guys go out of state? Like you know, and we all and we've really thought about it, but um, we also know a lot of people that went out of state, and not saying they all had bad experiences, but their experiences, um, I can tell you right now, their out of state experience compared to like a San Diego experience, they're they're not you can't compare the two. So they, most of them that went out of state said, man, I wish I just kept my property here because long-term I would have won. And the other thing for us is this is where we live. This is our relationships and we know it. And like Chris always says, you know, when you get on that plane and go fly somewhere, um, your, your property better be big enough. Cause if not, as soon as you step on the plane, you're costing time, money, and that is taking away from your cash flow. Anyways, we were just saying, how is my business? So, it is good. It's busy. Rates are low. What about rent control? Um, I think that's part of the issue with prices is just because um, I think some sellers haven't caught on to the fact that their prices are going to be somewhat affected by rent control. So you have buyers who kind of realize that they should be getting a discount for properties uh, because of the new rent control law and the way that appraisers are having to appraise properties now. But you have sellers who still think their property's worth a lot of money and um, think that, you know, they're using like market market rents um, to determine value. So I think there's a little bit of a struggle happening with that right now. And because, as you know, with our rent control event, everything was so uncertain. <laughs> there's still like a lot of gray area there. So I think everybody's trying to kind of gain their footing. But of course, sellers um, always think their property is worth the most amount of money. So I think they're taking a little Whether bit of time. Whether it's their to, house or their apartment building. Yeah, one or the other. But I know since... I mean, we've seen definitely a drop in rates, but um, I think it's been a little bit more subtle than what you've been seeing on your side. I've seen you going crazy since like really the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, I would say if you have a loan amount that's in San Diego, that's five, 10 and below and your interest rate is if it's in the upper threes, there's probably benefit. You could be at a three and a quarter rate, 3.375, depending on your scenario. High balance from 510 to 701, it's only going to go up an eighth or so. So basically what you're looking at, if you have a conforming 30-year fixed, you're probably three and a quarter to three and a half, worst case. And jumbo, you're probably three and a half to 3.75. And didn't you say people and in FHA could even get in the twos? If you're in the F, I'm doing FHA, um, and VA loans right now where people are getting 2.75%. So if you ask somebody that's 90 years old, they would say that sounds like they're giving away money for free and when they were paying 20%. So if you haven't refied or anything like that, it's, it is moving people off the fence to refi. People are refining. This is what I'm saying. People are refining, saving money. They're consolidating debt. 
they're taking cash out to maybe put on the sidelines for an opportunity down the road or to put back in their house. And um, if you have investment properties, you can refi now, lower your payment, which equals more cash flow. So a lot so of opportunity. At the people. very minimum, I think everybody should take a look at where they're at with their mortgage now and see if it makes sense to, yeah. to do anything. It's definitely a good time. But yeah, if you have somebody, great. If not, yeah. it's a five, 10 minute phone call with anybody, me. And, um, you know, preferably you, preferably me. And I did move from, uh, and to, we're now brokers, not a direct lender. And I would just say that what that means is, is I'm probably able to save you a quarter to half a point in rate compared to where I was previously. So that's pretty crazy savings. It's pretty huge. So anyways, um, today the topic is generational wealth. And I think Crystal, um, we like to talk about topics that obviously we're passionate about, but also I think we're talking about this is because as most of you know, or don't know, um, a lot of people are getting older and a lot of, and a lot of people are passing and the generation that is over the next 25 years that is passing, which a lot of people might not know was the generation that that's when 401ks were started in IRAs and people started buying property. That's if you go back over time and you go back to grandparents and grandparents, sometimes they missed a cycle, but from the you know, 60s, 70s and 80s, a lot of wealth got created, whether through many different retirement things and businesses and real estate, and it's really grown um, out of control since then. So what Chris and I are seeing is people that did create a generational wealth, which we focus on is through um, multifamily or real estate, is that something that attracts us and we've been able to see this when our career is almost 20 years doing this and we're kind of like want to talk about the today and kind of like what we see about it what are we passionate about and also what we're seeing on the other side of people inheriting properties and things like that so just to clarify for everyone what what is generational wealth for my definition so I think you we were actually talking about this, right? And we were like, Monty said, well, what is, so if somebody inherits something or generational wealth? And we said, well, we think there's a difference. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, to Crystal and I, when somebody gets generational wealth, and we're only going to talk about um, uh, real estate because that's what we're passionate about. But it could be anything is that when somebody hands you uh, a piece of property that could be free and clear of debt on it, and they die tomorrow and you get it the next day, and all of a sudden there's a bank account and money's coming in, it's cash flowing. So to me, generational wealth is somebody that basically there would be us, Crystal and I, we're buying properties, we're creating cash flow. And if we die, that doesn't mean that dies with us. That that basically property can pass on to the next person, whoever gets it in line. It can be managed by a professional management company, but that property is gonna continue throughout the generations of just spitting off cash flow. And if it's free and clear, there's no debt on it. It would probably just always spit off cash flow. And yes, you'd have to rehab and repair, but it's basically generational wealth to me is somebody building something where they can pass along um, forever. Right. Yeah. So I think there's like a lot of different kind of versions out there of what people think generational wealth is. And I think uh, they're probably all correct. It's just, what is your kind of preferred vehicle for that? Uh, ours is obviously through multifamily, but I think just to get a little bit more broad with it, um, for me, 
generational wealth is something that I could pass on to my loved ones that would create cash flow for them. So um, I could, you know, put money away in a 401k or something like that or save my money in a bank account and give that money to my kids when I die. But I don't and I do know that that's helpful. That's 100 percent helpful. But what I feel is more helpful is to pass them something that's giving them consistent cash flow. So I don't necessarily want to hand them millions of dollars when I die. I'd rather have them give, you know, get cash flow on a monthly basis that helps them and their families and their lives uh, consistently every month forever um, for eternity. So um, rather than taking a lump sum. So I think that is the gift that keeps on giving. And for me, generational wealth is about just that, creating that cash flow, creating that vehicle that's like giving you money every month like clockwork, uh, very consistent and reliable. So for us, that vehicle's always been multifamily. And that for me is my bigger dream to pass on buildings rather than houses or cash or other things, you know, whether it's, you know, cars or paintings or any of those other things, what we know is multifamily. And I feel like that is a really fabulous gift to give somebody. I'd certainly take it if it was given to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think too, the cool thing is we've gotten to do, um, especially more lately, but over our career, Crystal's gotten to do a lot of commercial financing. And what I was going to say is over the, one of the things I was going to go back to is over the next 25 years, it's 40, 60 trillion dollars is gonna get passed. So my point was, is all this money that got saved and put away this generation when they die, that's all gonna get inherited, passed through. And like Crystal said, some of that is gonna be through properties, commercial properties, multifamily. So we are getting calls, I'm not gonna say every week, but it seems like every week we talk with clients or brokers or whatever, and we're seeing a consistent pattern where you know grandpa dies, mom or dad dies, and this kid is inheriting property. And one of the things we want to talk about today is um, there's a couple things. Number one is it's great that they inherit these properties and all of a sudden that person could be struggling in life and that person all of a sudden went from struggling, couldn't pay bills, so all of a sudden they're getting $20,000 a month cash flow and they have a free and clear building that could be worth two, three million bucks, whatever. That is a life changer for somebody because that's going to come in every month and literally they don't have to, they don't even have to get out of bed to do that. If somebody else manages it and they know what they're doing and they can handle that for them, they can literally just collect a check and they're going to learn as they go how this works. I think the better solution is if you are planning on creating generational wealth or you're going to inherit it and you're not folk and you're not learning about what you're going to inherit and stuff. I think that's something parents um, should be helping their kids out and focusing on because a lot of things we see people, there's two people right now. People inherit it, they sell it and take the cash. Like Crystal says, they're not educated, they didn't make it and they go spend it on stuff. And when they spend it, it's over, it's done. And the other person is they inherit it and they basically, like Crystal said, thank you very much for that nice kind gift. This is great, the 20 grand a month, whatever it is. And then they do it. And then the third person that some of us know is they're actually entrenched in their parents' business now. So when they inherit it, they're trying to build it and make it bigger. Right. Yeah. And I think the thing for us and why we believe in multifamily so much is obviously I think we've said it so many times, but you really should believe in what you're doing and what you do for a living. And so I do. So um, I do multifamily financing. So it would only be natural for me to want to own multifamily and not only that but because of 
doing loans for the last, you know, 17 years for apartment owners and managing properties for apartment owners as well. We've seen so many examples of generational wealth that has been passed down to other people that has given them opportunity that they didn't otherwise have or people now who are creating that generational wealth for their families. And so we've seen what they're able to do with that. I mean, whether it's like you said, if you pass that on and they just kind of keep it going or if they decide that they want to grow it. I mean, we've really seen both. We've seen people do some really amazing things with generational wealth that's been passed down. And we talk about how, you know, like people could get past a business. Well, it is a business too. So you can either treat it as an investment that's giving you passive cash flow, hire a manager and never think about it. Or um, or think about it rarely. It's going to take a little bit of work. but Or you could turn it into your business and do it full time and grow it and create more wealth to pass down to the next generation. So I that's what I love about multifamily is that, I mean, for one, everybody always needs a place to live. So I think it is the safest vehicle for investing. Um, I don't know anything about the stock market. I don't know anything about you know, investing in businesses per se or things like that. But I do know a lot about multifamily. And one thing I do know is that everybody needs a place to live. Uh, So it is the safest investment in my opinion. And I think uh, a lot of really intelligent people's opinions. I mean, there's very successful, most successful people out there have grown their wealth by investing in real estate of some kind. Correct. Our choice is multifamily specifically. So um, we just want to take those examples and create that generational wealth for our families. Um, So that's kind of like our biggest goal and what it's been over the last five years is how do we get there? How do we achieve that generational wealth? So I think a lot of people want to invest in real estate. I think obviously with you know, social media and all the Grant Cardones out there and the Dean Graziosi's and all these other real estate people that are out there. I think people are pretty much sold on real estate unless they've been living under a rock. But I think the question is, is how do you start creating that generational wealth? What what does it look like? How do you do it? How do you get into it? So what's kind of like your advice for somebody getting started or that doesn't own real estate, but they're like, yes, I want to start creating generational wealth. How do I do that? Yeah, and the other thing I just want to jump into is that, um, unfortunately, because of where we're at, like, I would say just with our country, with debt and how things are going, as I posted the other day, is, and I'm backing into what you're saying, is, for example, we make $3.3 trillion a year of income, and just in Social Security, we're paying out over a trillion dollars. And what's happening, so that's income that you're like, you know, our parents are relying on or we're going to rely on. And then now go over here is then you have the pension and those people, the pension programs are in, in worse, worse. So when you look at all these things and you go, okay, I got social security and pension and you got 401k, these things are being run and controlled by the wall street. There really isn't even enough funding. We're not even talking about Medicare or all this other stuff. So a lot of people are relying on this, but what Crystal and I have learned and I've done a lot is I don't want to rely on the government or something like this. That's, that's not it. And if that's not around for my kids are around and I don't do something about it myself and learn it and invest in real estate, then they're going to not, they're going to go and just do the same thing. So I, somebody has to start it. So we, you know, we want to start, we would rather have, it's funny how many apartment owners are like, Hey, where's your 401k or stock? What? I have 
50 buildings. That's my 401k in stock. I don't need it. So I'm going off a tangent here, but I'm saying is I think people need to take a step back. And like somebody, Robert Kiyosaki says, when you have a pension, why don't you call your pension person and ask for the paperwork and see what exactly is in there, how much money they have, what it's investing in. You would be shocked and go, how are they going to pay me? There's not even enough money in here. So, so once, so I think for you guys is the first start for me, Crystal is, is the mindset. We always go back to investing. It's the mindset. It has to start with what exact, why am I creating generational wealth and what do I want out of this? Right. And we always go to what's the number somebody wants to make. And it's, it's, I want to make the $2,500 a month to the five grand a month to the 10 grand a month. Right. And I think everybody starts with a number. But sometimes that number gets pushed up because you realize once you get going, you well, can let's obtain. let's hope it does, yeah. No, you're like, oh, I didn't know I could do five grand a month. I thought that would be really hard. Maybe some people just jump in, they get it, and they go, and they just hit it right, or they time the market right. Um, and a lot of it is time, market timing. Yes, it's expensive now, but what? But if you got to understand, if you're always in the game when it gets cheap, if you're a professional and it's cheap, you're a professional buying cheap real estate. If you're an amateur and it's cheap, you're an amateur buying cheap real estate. Mm-hmm. The professional is always going to win. So I think getting started is, is getting your mindset around exactly why are you doing this? What do you want out of it? And for us is we're not relying on a pension or social security or Medicare or any of this. I, and I, I, we're not even relying on ourselves working. We want to work right now and put as much money and save as much money to go buy real estate because it's someday you keep buying and buying and buying, this real estate does start paying you. And then it pays you more and more and more, and that's what we've seen. So the first part to get started is, is what exactly are you, are you putting money in a 401k? Are you putting money in an IRA or things like that? Are you going all in on that? Um, are you, like Chris said, are you just saving cash to save cash, which you're making no money on? It's just sitting there not growing. You get no money on it. It doesn't grow equity, nothing. You know, are you putting money in the stock market that's super high now and then it crashes and you get scared and pulled out and you just lost half your money? Because like Crystal said is like for us, we don't understand the stock market. That's not what we know. And it's manipulated and controlled. So it's really tough to make money there. It really is for the average person. They don't make money. Well, I mean, and we talk about how much time you have to invest in your investments. I mean, for me, we did for a time and you do play around with stocks here and there, but what we learned too is that's that's a job. I mean, if you want to play an active role in your investments, you have to constantly be researching the stocks and where it's going and what the profits are and what the forecasts are and trying to make your best educated guess based on all of the information Data. that's available to you. Um, so for me, it was just, it's kind of like gambling. I feel like the stock market, so that I don't know it as well. And I feel, you know, some people do, some people have a strategy and- Certainly, we are diversified a little bit, but um, the lion's share of everything we have is in real estate. The thing I like about real estate is that you can easily look at market trends and you can do research in your market. And it's really a tangible thing. I mean, a stock can disappear overnight. Like, you could just lose everything. In real estate, you would have to have some sort of, like, natural disaster happen in order for your real estate to be lost overnight. So the chances of that happening are so much less likely than something like a stock, like something that's not a a tangible thing that you can actually touch, see, feel, drive by, you know, walk through, all of that. So you're right about the mindset because I think one of the things that I see so often, um, even in 
what I do um, is helping clients, especially nowadays, I'm seeing a lot more kind of first time apartment buyers coming to the table. And most of them have been buying residential one real estate. Yeah, one to four units. And now they want to transition into multifamily um, is just kind of this like unrealistic expectation. Also, we've said it so much, but Real estate is a long game. I mean, this is not a get rich quick. So if you're looking for a get rich quick, you should probably look elsewhere. It's just not what real estate is about. But what it is is a super reliable vehicle to create long-term cash flow. So um, one of the things that I do have a hard time with, and I think it is part of the mindset, is one, people are not willing to make the sacrifices that they need to make in order to start creating generational wealth, which whether it's cutting back on spending, saving your money, watching your credit. <laughs> I mean, your credit is super important to any kind of financing. I don't care what you get, whether it's buying a car or a house or a property. So those those kinds of mindset things. But then when they determine that they want to buy multifamily, they start looking at it from the perspective of, what real estate do I like? What areas do I, would I live in? What my kids live here. Um, and then they start, so they get that and then they find the property. Of course, it never makes any sense financially speaking um, or from a cash flow perspective. Then they say, I need to have this amount of cash flow every month. Like, I need this. This is what I need. And that is not an investment. I mean, that is when you're thinking about investing, again, investing is long term and it's not just about cash flow. It's part one part of it, but the other part of it is appreciation and maintaining your assets. And also too, it's about and reinvesting. It's, it's also about there's a lot of tax benefit and savings and things tax like benefits, that. Yeah. It's like build you can build wealth really quickly, tax free if you understand and there's a lot of strategy too, you know. And I, I think too I think a lot of people forget it's like the conversation at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 that you always have with yourself or your family is going to change. And Crystal and I see it. It's funny because we always say is nobody at 60 years old says, man, I should have bought four more cars and five more watches and 17 more suits and you know 12,000 more vacations and all this stuff. No, they're like, I should have bought more property. I should have saved more money. This because when you're 60... The crap you care about 40, you're not going to necessarily care about. And so I think the delayed gratification is really what you're getting to is that is the whole point is, is this is a long-term play. So you have to, some people look, they make a lot of money. They go, they bought Facebook cheap and there's people, yeah, they made a hundred million dollars and they take all the, they pay the tax, take the money and then they go buy real estate and they're at a different complete level. But for the majority of us. Um, that don't get past generational wealth, that don't inherit money, that have to work hard and build this up. It's it's probably, you know, 10, 20 years if you stay at it, you could have some decent cash flow that can change your life. But once again, is when you build the cash flow, that cash flow, as long as you just don't know what you're doing, it will continue. You know, that's the beautiful thing, like Crystal says, because everybody does need a place to live, especially in beautiful San Diego. So, and I think back to where you start is the mindset's where you start. And I think the next step is, is what do you, what is the goal? And look, not everybody's going to have the same goal. And I completely understand. Some people are like, look, my goal is in 20 years to get to $10,000 a month cash flow. And that's a realistic goal. Great. And Chris Lake, it's down. Chris like, how do I get there? It's like, well, first of all, you got to get in the game. Right. You got to, you got, do you have the cash? Some people have the cash. Great. 
you got to buy the property. And that's because some people say their expectations are unrealistic. It takes them three, four years just to buy a property because they're just all in their head and all over the place. Sometimes the best thing to do is just buy a property. It might not be your best deal because when you go through that process of buying or anything, that you we can sit you down to a blue in the face, but until you go through it, that's really what can change your life, change your perception and everything about the whole the well, entire process. Now you have experience. Exactly. So um, with every property you have experience. Um, but I, I, like I said, I keep going back to this, the people that need the cash flow tomorrow, it's just not a realistic expectation. Um, that's, that's probably one of the number one things I see once somebody's gotten over the hump, like they have the cash they want to buy, they're looking at deals, they're looking at cash flow. you know, what am I going to get year one? And I say, you've got to look at five years. Like I would say your minimum projection should be a five-year projection. It's not to say that you might, you might sell that property in three years. I mean, and trade up to something bigger or, you know, you might keep it for 20 years, who knows, but you need to project based on a five-year track because your property is a property. Like it has water heaters and plumbing systems and electrical and people who are moving in and moving out and you know repairs and things that need to be made so you can project your operating expenses um, but you're going to have what we call capital expenses that come up so you can't say that you you had you made the worst investment ever because the first year unexpectedly your water heater dies and you've got to pay you know a few thousand dollars and now that cut into your cash flow and now you're less making less money than you planned on and you're freaking out or somebody moves out and you have a month of vacancy plus turnover cost. These are the kinds of little things that I think people get hung up on. And, and little things is really like the key phrase here because, again, we've got to be thinking big picture. So part of kind of creating that mindset to create generational wealth is to be a big picture thinker, not to get so invested in the small stuff about – you know, I had to replace carpet or this guy, you know, was giving me a hard time about this or that. Or what do I do with this tenant who's not paying? Like, you've got to take care of those issues, but it can't cloud your overall long-term goal of creating generational wealth. So yeah. you might not get cash flow year one, but year two, your cash flow could be higher than you projected. So that's the reason why I say everything should be at least a minimum five-year period because it's going to average out just like a stock goes up and down if you're used to that. Even like if you own a business, some years are better a, than others. Some years are better than others. So you you have to really go with that mindset that this is not like, you know, this is not like putting your money in a savings account where you know that you're going to get, you know, 0.75% interest, you know, on that. It's 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 a fluctuating living thing. Like there are things that happen to it. So um, you really need to look out over a five-year period and just be ready for that. When I say it's a long-term gain, like this is a long-term kind of goal strategy, it is long-term. It's not year one. It's minimum five years. And yeah. that's being short. Yeah, and I think too, um, I think one thing I'll say about like Crystal and I is, and this isn't going to go apply to everybody, but if you are making really good money or making enough money to live um, is one of the things you really can focus on is not touching your cash flow and not touching your principal. And the only reason why you touch cash flow and principal is to me for two reasons, either putting money back into your building to rehab it, to make it better, to make it more valuable and raise the rents. Or number two is to go buy a new building, you know? And I think a lot of people is, is 
they want to get here, but they start getting cash flow and then they start taking it and spending it on stuff that they don't need when they were perfectly fine in their job. They start, oh, I, I got $1,500. I can get that nicer car, this and that. I think if you really want to get to ten grand a month or you want to create generational wealth, this little this little wheel over here, this other business that you're doing, like Crystal said, this is if it's a side business, it just you just need to let it kind of take off on its own and grow on its own. It's like a you know, it's like a it's like a you plant a tree and you water it, nourish it, and it grows. But if you constantly are cutting it, cutting it, cutting it, it's not only going to grow so high, right? It's like they say is if you plant a tree in the small vase, like you're not the big picture, it's only going to get so big. But if you plant it in the big face of the big ground, it can grow 20 feet, right? And that's what Crystal's saying is, but I think a lot of people. They get short term because they see the money or something comes up and they and they and they sell it because they're going to use this or do that. We just we have learned to separate it. And we honestly, when we sit down and ever talk about budgeting or anything, it's funny. We never even talk about any other investments. Anything. We're like, this is what we have. It doesn't matter what's coming over here right now. Like it, we don't even ever ever talk about. Do we ever say we have this and we could spend this? We don't even think about it because we think that's not even our money until it gets to a certain level. Then we're like. That's real money there, you know? Well, that's the the mindset uh, part of it really too is because – It's kind of a hack right there, honestly. Yeah, but I mean we're at a point now where we have enough – like we don't just have one property. We have several properties. So it, when you get to that point, you're constantly saying like this cash flow that I'm getting – what can I do to improve my property? What can I do to increase the value of the property? Make more money. What can I do? Like yeah, maybe refi, pull cash out to go buy something else. And then there's another thing to invest. So every dollar of cash flow that we've made off of our properties has actually been reinvested in some way or another, whether it's back into that property or into another property. Because this is like step two of just starting cre- to create generational wealth, like starting with that one property is the next property and the next property and the next property. And how do you do that? I mean, if you really start thinking about it, it's like, gosh, how much money am I going to have to make to keep buying properties? Like that's a lot of money to continuously make. And depending on how much money you do make, it's it can be difficult to save money. I mean, it's not an easy thing. That's the hardest part. That's like the biggest barrier of entry is having the cash 100%. to invest. So you get your first property now, what do you do? Well, hopefully you you bought smart and you get some equity and you can pull cash out of that and then maybe add some more cash that you've been making. But that's why you don't increase your lifestyle because you have that big picture in mind of what it is that you want to do in the end. Like what is your end goal? And maybe you don't even care about generational wealth for your kids or you don't plan on having that. Maybe what you really want to do is live in a big fancy house in La Jolla and buy a fancy car. Well, you need to back into that because today is not the day. So if you start creating an extra $1,000 a month of cash flow, but your goal is to, you know, have a big fancy house and a big fancy car later on down the road, you can't start living that life just because you're getting an extra thousand bucks a month. You got to save the money to get to the next step, to get to the point where your cash flow is paying for all those things that you want or for that wealth that you want to pass on or whatever your goal is like it could be anything it doesn't matter like we all like nice things and we all or maybe we want to pass things on to our families whatever that goal is just realize that the first step of cash flow is like reinvest it back into your investment so you can create more cash flow 
Yeah, no, I mean, and the other thing is, is also being on the same page with your significant other, if you guys are doing this together. And like when Crystal and I sit down and we talk about just in our, you know, our day-to-day jobs, you know, commercial residential financing is, you know, we're now really focused on that business because we were doing property management, a lot of other things, and we were kind of spread thin, but now we realize, hey, for us, the best ROI is to do loans. And obviously we're working on some other things as well. Like we have the podcast and stuff that helps bring in business, but everything we're doing is going to inevitably bring us back more business to make us more money. But we're not like, we want to make more money because we want to, no, we actually want to make more money as fast as possible so we can buy more properties because we understand now because of the experience and we've been doing it, we understand the magnitude of what it can do for you. So we're trying to get to, you know, our goal is the hundred units where you make a certain amount and then that would eventually basically at that point, if you could just pay for your lifestyle, if you wanted to stop there, which we wouldn't, but that's like the initial goal right now is get to hundred units you make this much, it would pay for our lifestyle. Maybe we're like, at that point, if Crystal wants to, you go buy a house, you know, because it does. It's going to be up to her, not me. Maybe she'll talk herself out of it. But I think the big thing is, is we do meet a lot of people. One person wants to do this. The other person's not on the same page because some, the other person likes finer things and they want the fancy house. They want the fancy car and they want all this stuff. But they talk about they want this, but they're not willing to sacrifice to get there. And that's the other problem. Well, and sometimes it's a negotiation and it's a battle. I mean, coming from the female perspective, I mean, obviously, I want the home and I want certain things, especially once you start a family. There are things that you want, but you do realize that there are bigger goals in mind and that you will get those things when the timing is right. So definitely being on the same page with your spouse and also being supportive of those goals because, you know, like we, I mean, this is getting off on something completely very personal, but this is the kind of discussion that a lot of couples have in their homes. I mean, like at night, these are the things you talk about. Somebody wants the nicer car. Somebody feels like the house is too small, but they want a bigger one. And somebody wants to take this vacation or this big trip that's going to be, you know, whatever, some crazy expensive thing. These are the kinds of areas where you've got to kind of cut back. And I'm not saying that it's not going to be easy because, you know, as couples and families, like we all want to have things. But those are the kinds of discussions where you have to realize that maybe you want this now, but now is not the time to get it. And you need to, to reach that decision as a couple. And usually somebody is going to be more the pusher of these things than the other one. The other one's going to take some convincing So uh, there's definitely some finesse and some strategy involved in that. I mean, it took me a while to get into that mindset. Um, And even, you you know, you at certain times, too. So I think for both of us, there's certain times where we want things. But this is where you really have to buckle down and realize that you are sacrificing today so that you don't have to sacrifice, you know, tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. it's just one of those things, I think, personally speaking, you really have to look at your budgeting and your spending. And we go down even into the granular things. I mean, my God, I was going to Starbucks all the time, for example, and saying like, wow, this is ridiculous. And don't get me wrong, like maybe I saved $1,000 for the year at Starbucks. At In the grand scheme of things for where we're at and everything, that's like whatever, no big deal. But it's it's those little things that it's the add mindset. up. And it's, yeah, it's more about the mindset and being aware of those things than it is about 
the Starbucks. Um, but so there are little things. We do still look at our budgets. We still do look at things where we need to cut back and save money on. There are things that you have to do and you do those things consciously as a couple. It's like one of those things you need to go through and be open about because I, I know it goes both ways. Everybody spends money on stupid shit like that, you know, the other one's going to maybe disagree with. But those are the open conversations you need to be having and they're not fun always but um they actually become fun after doing them for a while like you and i kind of like looking and going like oh my god we're cutting this we're cutting well, that it's we're also, doing this. it also becomes fun too when you've invested and you see results and you because that becomes addicting too actually it becomes addicting more than the shiny things and people don't get it but it really does it does that will automatically change your mindset i think to kind of in closing for me um if anybody's listening to this I'll say a couple things. Um, mindset is probably where you're going to start getting on the same page with your significant other if that's what you're doing. Um, and the other thing is, is if you are going to be inheriting property, if you're that fortunate, that's awesome for you. But you should definitely be getting involved in knowing what you're going to inherit and you should um, not wait until it's a fire drill and you should have that conversation and sit down with your folks or get involved and start learning about the business because um, it will put yourself in a better position, a lot less stress. And the other thing is, is if you um, are going to inherit property and it's significant or not, um, you definitely want to focus. If you don't know anything, you definitely want to get yourself surrounded by the right team. Like, you know, a lender, property manager, real estate attorney, you know, insurance person, things like that that can really help you out and guide you in directions and answer questions and guide you. And then last but not least is, um, this, if you are going to be the person in your family, that's going to start and create generational wealth and really make a difference. Everybody that we've known that's done it, um, that's come with a little bit and a lot of, a lot of bit of sacrifice. And, um, a lot of people see where these people are now, but they did not see them 30, 40 years ago when they were struggling and, um, living way below their means and, you know, working crazy hours and, knocking on doors to correct the rent and all this stuff and did all this creative stuff to get there. They just see, oh, I see this person here. I want to get there. But so I will tell you, the person that got there that didn't get it all inherited um, worked their ass off. And even if they inherit that, they're still working their ass off because it's a lot. And if you're going to inherit a big portfolio, a lot of properties, and you don't know what you're doing, you better get your shit together because it could be more of a headache than you think. And Crystal, what's your kind of final words? Well, I think... Uh, I wanted to piggyback off of what you said is that we are seeing so many people that are inheriting wealth now and primarily, obviously, properties. Yeah, continue, yeah. Um, the biggest thing you could do is, uh, A, realize what you have. <laughs> but you're right. You have to get that team of people around you to help you to maximize because um, if you – even if you slightly know what you've – what you have, you probably don't even realize it's full potential. So you do want to get connected with people who do this on a daily basis. Um, obviously, there's this whole thing of, you know, being careful and meeting the right people and making sure that you're meeting people who have the, your best interest in mind. Like you are your own best advocate, but you definitely need to start getting involved and talking to people in real estate and people who are in the business to get you connected. Obviously, referrals are the best source Um 
for most people. I mean, surely, especially if you're in California, I think everybody knows at least one person who's in real estate in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. um, you probably know like 10 people. So start talking to those people and asking them about this uh, stuff. You know, like how do I, you know, what should I do? And cash flow and what do you think about my property? Or, you know, you've got to kind of start having that conversation and getting your kind of, you know, getting involved. Um you can always call us if you have any questions. We love to talk about this stuff. Uh, but you definitely need to get a good team of people around you to realize how you can maximize. Um, and it is everything from talking to a good CPA on how it's going to work when you inherit this money or maybe you've already inherited these properties. How does that work from a tax perspective? And then looking at the financing. I mean, how like do I assume this loan? What do I do with the financing? And then who's going to run this thing? Also, what kind of condition is it left in? Because a lot of times that person who, you know, left these properties to you, they bought it so long ago that they're not really as concerned about maximizing cash flow because they bought it at such a low price. So now you're like, how do I come in and revamp it and exponentially increase my cash flow? There's a lot of opportunity here. So for a lot of you who are inheriting properties, you're inheriting a huge opportunity that you just need to learn how to capitalize on um, that can continue to help you and your family. Yeah, I mean, look, there's books, there's podcasts, there's webinars, there's seminars, there's so much information out there, so there's really no excuse, but um, but that's a good place to start. And like I said, is if you're gonna create it, you gotta get your mindset right, and you gotta get your money right, and you gotta get realistic, and sometimes you might have to make some big changes in your life and some sacrifices. The other thing is, is um, you might be own houses that aren't really cash flowing. They have equity in them and they're kind of breaking even and you might need to like sell things and move the money into something else, but you just don't know and you're scared. And you know, that's where the team comes involved or calling people like us. So anyways, that's our, um, that's our passion. That's really, you know, what Crystal and I are focused on is creating generational wealth and um, for our kids to pass along and, it's not just to pass it to them, but it's something that we're passionate about and we believe in. And, you know, I just think that pension and 401k and all these things at some point, um, the rubber meets the road and there's going to be some major issues. I mean, the smartest people in the world and the books and all the stuff come out there, they're not saying it for their health. And so we need to pay attention. A lot of people aren't, they're going to get blindsided. So, um, I'm just paying attention and I realize that might not be an option for us or our kids. So, I'm going to build something that is an option for us. I like it. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.